This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, are you looking to make the move to saddle hunting this year? Or maybe you just want to add a few new pieces of gear or upgrade your current saddle gear. If that's the case, then head over to tetherednation.com where they've got all mobile hunters covered. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old timer, Tethered is your one-stop saddle shop. From saddles to ropes, sticks, ascenders, whatever it is you need, they have you covered. I've personally been using their gear for the past three seasons. Now my base setup consists of the Phantom Saddle and the Predator Platform. And if you're wondering why, I've chosen to use their gear above all else. Here's the cliff notes. They're innovative and pushing the mobile hunting forward overall. They cut no corners and prioritize the safety and performance of their gear. They care about the community that they've created and their gear allows me to hunt free. And above all else, I like to support good people doing good work. If you're interested in upping your mobile hunting game, then head to tetherednation.com. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee, guaranteeing to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker? They're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast, brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 245. Today, we are joined by my buddy, Tony Peterson, and we're discussing how to take your deer hunting to the next level. So stay tuned. up everyone happy wednesday to you hope you're doing well hope you are feeling fine i am coming to you might actually be the coolest place that i've done a podcast up front at least uh to date i am actually out on my kayak i am kayaking back to the truck after having had checked trail cameras all day and the last couple i needed to check were water access so left that for the end of the day 
and uh, got all the cameras pulled with the exception of one. And then on my way back, there's a small little spot where I can do just a little bit of glassing. And I did see a young buck come out into a field. I don't know what it is. It's like, I think it's, uh, it looks like sorghum, maybe. Maybe it's just really, really poorly planted corn, possibly. But regardless, good day pulling uh, trail cameras. Actually, it was a good day pulling trail cameras because I was out in the woods, which is always nice. But the uh, inventory on the cameras uh, left a little to be desired. This is all stuff that is local to me. I haven't made it up to the Poconos yet. Hoping I can do that here in the next, you know, two-ish weeks or so. The season here for me locally comes in on the 18th of September, so I really needed to get out and get this stuff done. Um at least around around my house and then i got a little bit more time for the poconos because that doesn't open until the normal uh statewide opener which is you know right there at the beginning of october i don't remember exactly what the what the date is off the off the top of my head but uh doing a little bit of double duty here or uh you know trying to get <laughs> trying to be efficient with my time podcasting while i'm on the kayak that way when i get home i can kind of get everything together for the uh for the episode on wednesday but uh obviously the season is kicking off for a lot of folks a lot of folks with their western trips and stuff like that have already kind of started i'm still you know, like i said got a little bit of time left so i'm still just getting dialed in flinging arrows you know everything's dialed in feeling good if you're kind of last minute shopping or last minute considering making any changes or looking for broadheads or whatever the case is you can head over to afflictor broadheads.com and check those out you can use the promo code truth 10 and that will get you a discount i've been shooting them all this summer i made the switch to those this year and they're awesome they fly just like my field points i've been i've shot them out as far as to 53 yards um and they are dropping right where I right where my field points are landing. So I couldn't be happier with those. I'm shooting the uh, K2 fixed blade, but they've got a bunch of different uh, a bunch of different options. Everything from fixed to hybrid, whatever whatever tickles your fancy, they've got you covered. So head over to AfflictorBroadheads.com, use the promo code Truth10, and pick yourself up some killer broadheads. Also, while you're at it, be sure to head uh, to thetruthfromthestand.com or my Instagram page and check out the merch that we got going on. Um, you can use the promo code Truth21, save yourself a little cash. And then the same thing with Skull Brew Coffee. Dot com. You can head over there, use the promo code TRUTH21, and save yourself some cash there. Got a cool show for you guys today. I uh, have my buddy Tony Peterson on. He has been on, I think this is his third time being on, uh, but Tony's been doing a ton of work with the guys over at Meat Eater, specifically Wired to Hunt, doing a lot of writing. All of his whitetail stuff is on uh, Wired to Hunt right now, and he's doing the Foundations podcast uh, on the Wired to Hunt channel as well, which is uh, which is killer. Whether you're someone who's been doing it for a while or someone who's just new getting into it and want to up your game, he does a really good job of kind of laying out some of the more intrinsic, I guess, ideas around deer hunting that maybe uh, that, you know maybe on this show and shows like this that we gloss over it because it's things that maybe we kind of know or the guests guests know and we don't stop and think about not everyone that's listening to this podcast has been doing this for a long time and and they might need someone to kind of walk them through a little bit more specifically and that's kind of what tony's doing on the foundations uh podcast but this podcast really kind of came about because tony had written an article that's on meateater.com and it was really talking about how to become a better bow hunter a better deer hunter in general and you know there's no magic drug magic pill magic bullet magic whatever you know that the industry 
would like to sell you to make you believe that you now all of a sudden hold all the keys to the kingdom of big buck hunting. You know, the reality is, and the way he kind of wrote the article is that, you know, it's really just about learning as much as you can and, 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 and being as diverse as you possibly can um, to, to ultimately up your, up your game, which is one of the reasons why I've always liked to travel to hunt and hunt different places, see different things. And so he, he asked me for a quote or two for the article about my kind of perception on that kind of methodology of becoming a better bow hunter. And it got us to thinking, maybe we should do a podcast about this. I'd been doing some research for a job interview that I was doing around, um, cognitive development and uh, specifically around Alzheimer's and, and what kind of goes on in the in, in the brain and how the brain works and how the brain learns and how it creates pathways to re- retain knowledge and when a pathway gets blocked, if you only have one way that you understand something and that pathway is blocked, you no longer know it. That's why people who have, you know, I'm not a doctor, but that's, in layman's terms, that's why people who have, for example, Alzheimer's might forget a, a, a family member because maybe they only know them one way, right? They know Bob the, the husband or Bob the uncle or whatever the case is. So the whole idea is that if you know Bob like uh, he's a brother, Bob's your friend, Bob's a hunter, Bob's a this or that, you know, a couple different ways. If one of those pathways is blocked, you may not know Bob the hunter, but you may know Bob your best friend. And so it gives you multiple ways to know something. So I started thinking about this in, the, in in terms of deer hunting and you know and bow hunting and becoming a better bow hunter and the and what it made me kind of think of is all these times like I've talked about it before where I have almost deja vu when I get to places and I'm not I'm not unique in this a lot of a lot of bow hunters or a lot of hunters will have this where you see something you know for example when I was in Missouri and I'm hunting a river bottom and I've never hunted river bottom before but I came up on this little spot that reminded me of a setup that I had in a swamp in Pennsylvania and it just looked the same the terrain laid out the same it was just very eerily familiar and I immediately knew kind of how to how to hunt it where I needed to set up what the wind was going to do and that's really what knowing you know diversifying yourself as much as possible you're creating these analogs to where you can quickly recall information without ever having to have had been there or seen it and just know how to how to hunt it you know the guys that are next level at this you know it's like you know the the end faults and and you know the dequisto you know andre dequisto like these guys like when you when they talk about a sixth sense it's really what it is you just have this feeling and you know because you've seen it before and it might not have been specifically at that particular spot even that state that piece of property whatever the case is but you just know that this is where it needs to happen and you immediately know how to how to hunt it doesn't mean you have to do it all on on public land it's just you know it's learning new ground whether it's learning you know another piece of private ground or you know maybe you're hunting private and maybe you just go out and you scout public and you hunt it a little bit so you can kind of get some diversity or whatever the case is but it's just always seeking out that next step of information and knowledge is really what this conversation is all about i thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with tony i always dig talking to him i hope you guys enjoyed as much as i did um with that we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's podcast and as always i'd like to thank you all for listening all right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand podcast. And you're going to immediately recognize the dulcet tones on this on the other end of the uh, at the other end of the Skype line with me. I have one of my good buddy. I think you're now a third time offender, which in some states means uh, zero tolerance policy, which means yep, you'd be I'm in the, going away. <laughs> you're going away for good. <laughs> I got my buddy Tony Peterson on. Um, man, I feel like 
I feel like I'm talking to a celebrity now. You're every, <laughs> <laughs> you know, at one point you were like my friend, Tony Peterson. And now it's like, whenever someone asks me something, like, Hey, what'd you do yesterday? It's like, Oh, I talked to Tony Peterson. You know, the guy that is super famous now. No. <laughs> so can I, can I tell you a story about that? Do, yes. You know, do you know, do you know Clay Newcomb? At all. I don't know him personally. I mean, I've yeah. listened you, to Bear Grease and I've seen, I've watched him on the, the Rogan podcast that he did. Yeah. So Clay, I've known Clay a long time and Clay is awesome. Like what you see is what you get. And I, I love the guy. I, I, you know, he's awesome, but he, that little bromance he's going on with, with Steve Rinella right now, he is freaking blown up. You okay. know what I mean? Like, like, you know, when I saw him on Rogan, I was like, are you kidding me? Yeah. And so I call him Clay Dashian because he's uh, <laughs> he's like he's up there, man. He's like the most famous guy I know right now. Right. And so I, I I'm okay with that. You can give me all the shit you want. Right. <laughs> I wonder if he ever thought bear hunting and making bear grease was ever going to get him on Joe Rogan. <laughs> you know, man, what I mean? it's crazy. Well, you know, I made a mistake. So I listened to Clay's episode and then I looked at the it it came up in my YouTube feed for something the the episode did. And I look at some of the comments and people are so freaking stupid, dude. Like 80% of the comments were like, Oh yeah. Like this guy's not starting a bear grease, like business, you know, like, Oh, of course he's going right. to be selling bear grease. I'm like, do you idiots know what it takes to get bear grease? It's, it's <laughs> definitely not an efficient business. Like, <laughs> no, no, you're going to draw three tags a year. Yeah. You're going to sell out your whole supply that takes you freaking forever to make. And anyway, gonna, it was, you're going to send it, sell it at the farmer's market for three fifty. <laughs> you know, this is what's yeah. going to happen. You know? Yeah. You're not, you're not buying too many ivory back scratchers being in the bear grease business. No, no, not, not at all. But man, it's, it's, see, I don't, again, I don't know him that well. He seems like a super good dude. He's articulate, you know, as far as someone to represent our community, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone, you know, better, you know, to, to do that. Yeah. In a, you know, he just comes across as, as, as genuine seeking to learn, seeking knowledge, you know, at every turn. Um, I think part of what I found almost a little bit refreshing about him a little bit is when he doesn't know something, he will tell you he does not know something. Yep. He's not afraid of not knowing, you know? Yeah. And that kind of, that'll dovetail into a lot of what you and I are going to talk about today, not to bury the lead necessarily, but that's a lot of <laughs> what our discussion is, is going to be about is, um, is about that ability to learn and knowledge gathering in different ways that people do that and stuff like that. But before we jump into all that, man, what's going on in Tony's world, dude, I know you're, you're doing a lot of scouting right now. You got a couple girl, little girls. You're trying to get on some deer this year. How's how's that going? It is. I'm optimistic. Let yeah. me put it that way. <laughs> okay. I have so our our mutual friend Aaron Hepler has been texting me because he's going out of his mind excited, oh, and he's yeah. like, oh, you know, are you pumped? Are you ready to get into a tree? I'm like, dude, I'm not. I'm going to get into a blind with two nine year olds for the first couple weekends. <laughs> like, I'm I'm in a different place, but it's it's so fun, man. Like. I, I have a weird schedule this year just because of the meat eater stuff. And like, I don't have a, the, the kind of schedule I've had for like 11 years. Mm -hmm. I don't have it this year. So I'm not in this big pressure cooker situation where I'm like, I got to kill three bucks in September and take the pressure off. I'm kind of in a different place. And it really has allowed me just to look at the situation I'm bringing my little girls into and being like, all right, here's where we're going to hunt. Here's how we're setting up. Here's how we're scouting. And so I'm, I'm, I'm scouting for myself a little bit because I do have some trips coming up. Mm -hmm. But I'm really like my bandwidth is just going in that direction because I want them. I really want them both to get deer. And I think I think we're like we're on the cusp. We don't have anything, you know, just just locked down. 
but the stuff I'm seeing and the spots that we're getting set up, I'm starting to, it's like by the day, I'm like, man, I think this is going to work. Like at right. least I think there's going to be deer within 20 yards of us. I don't know if they'll end up dead or scared. I don't know, but right. Right. What it's uh, so fun. It's interesting. You know, are they going out with you on some of these like, you know, scouting missions, like helping you go out in the woods and just kind of, whether it's traipsing around or, you know, or if it's, or if they're getting into the serious business, you know, I know they're nine, right. So there's only, there's but so much they're going to get serious about and attention span and stuff like that. But are they, are they getting out into the timber with you? And if so, oh yeah, how does that make you kind of look at things through a different lens whenever you're seeing how they react to things and as you're uncovering things and, and teaching them stuff? Uh, dude, it's fun, man. I mean, it, it makes me think about this process differently. You know, I mean, it's the same thing. Maybe this is a poor comparison, but you know, when you have a cameraman over your shoulder, mm. that everything changes with a hunt. It, yeah. it, and to me, it becomes less fun. It becomes more fun when I take my girls and I don't have a weapon, but they're, they're like a similar thing where you just have to consider, okay, how do we get away with two people and, and one who might not know what the hell they're doing. Right. Right. And so you just like, okay, I can't make too many mistakes here. Like you can't, you know, it's kind of like the, the public land version of bow hunting, right? Like you can't, you're not going to get away with a ton. Yeah. Like you could maybe get a little sloppy here and there once in a while, but overall, if it's not a pretty tight plan, you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like, you know, you look at your entrance routes, like how far can they walk and can we get there quietly? And then I'm using blinds with them because they're just so much more comfortable in that situation. And so then it's like, is that sucker brushed in right? And is the wind going to be perfect? And where's the approach going to be? And it just makes you kind of analyze it in a different way. You sort of like, maybe this sounds cocky, but you kind of take it for granted when you just, you just like own yourself, right? Like you're only accountable for your own hunting and scouting. You just feel like, okay, I, I kind of got this, you know, like, mm -hmm. and if I screw up, whatever it's, I, I can live with that. Cause I've done it a billion times. This, this makes you think about it. Just a, it, there's layers to it that don't come in when you're by yourself. Right. And you have to be that much more on top of it because to your point, you know, if you're by yourself, you know, and I, you're this way, I'm this way. A lot of the guys that we know are this way. I, I walk into a place, I try not to screw it up. Right. But there's times where I walk in and I screw it up for whatever reason, whether it's like all of a sudden, like my wind switched or something happened. And like the deer were where I, I didn't think they were going to be in this area. I was going to walk through and then they were there when I got there, you know? And so you just kind of stop, look at the map, reassess and go, all right, where am I going next? When you got two little girls with you, you know, walking that extra mile, mile and a half through the timber around a swamp through a, through a cedar thicket really isn't in the cards, right? So nope. you screw up the spot with the blind, day's done it really yep. at that point, right? So it's really kind of a high stakes, maybe in some ways more high stakes than it is whenever you're hunting by yourself. Oh, uh, it, it's way, it's way harder. I mean, it, in some ways it's way easier because you only give yourself X amount of options. You know, like when you walk out there, you could go set up on the ground if this spot doesn't work, or you could go mm -hmm. saddle up over here. You're, you're going to make something happen, plan A through Z, whatever. With them, you're like, okay, we got four blinds up. <laughs> this one's good for this one. This one's good for this wind, whatever. And you can't really call those audibles and, you know, go sit on, you know, put your back to a tree with them because it's, that's going to fall apart. Yeah. And so you just kind of go, okay, like the, the, the work we do ahead of time, it, it, there's more weight to that than those in the moment decisions. Like when you and I just walk out there. Yeah. And so I, I, man, I, I freaking love it. Like it's making me just, it's kind of giving me a fresh perspective. It's the same thing, you know, taking them fishing or anything like that. Like you just got to think, how can I make this super fun and super successful? Yeah. <laughs> and that's not so easy to do when you're dealing with wild critters and, and you know, weather, but God damn, it's fun, man. Yeah, man, for sure. I remember <clears throat> my little girl doesn't, she does, she's not too much into the hunting thing anymore. She likes to fish. 
Um, but I remember whenever I first started taking her out and it was just like, I remember when she first heard her first gobble and it was like, her eyes got like this big and she just like looked at me. She was like, what was that? And I was like, that was a Turkey. You know, it was like, it was the first time she'd ever heard it, you know? And so I remember that look on her face and I was just like, that is super cool. I was like, if I don't get to do anything else hunting related with you, like that was, that was it. I wrote an article, a whole article on it at one point for QD. Well, when it was called QDMA about, you know, taking her out on her first hunt and stuff like that, man. So I hope you guys shoot some deer in the face. <laughs> I hope we don't shoot him in the face. Right. <laughs> Make for a pretty <laughs> shitty mount. <laughs> yeah. I hope we shoot him in the chest. Right. The, yeah. Yeah. Specifically in the non-shoulder region of the chest. Right. Right. Exactly. But so let's turn the page here to, you know, what you're kind of working on yourself, like where you're at. Are you getting some, some glassing in? I gotta, I gotta admit to you, <clears throat> I was listening to your foundations podcast. Um, and for those out there listening that don't know, Tony hosts the foundations podcast on wire to hunt. It's killer chock full of information. If you've not checked it out yet, you definitely need to. I was listening to the glassing one. And it reminded me that I had talked about going and glassing that one cut during the summer, either from the saddle or from the truck or whatever. And it was the motivation to me for me to go, all right, man, I need to make a trip in like the next two weeks to go do that. Cause I've done the drive around the, my local area looking for, you know, the crop rotation, like if there's crops nearby, even if it's, you know, a mile away or whatever, I'm still kind of looking at it just to kind of know where the draws are at and stuff like that. Yep. And last year I had a few that were beans and I could glass. And this year it seems like normal rotation one year beans next year. Corn seems like I'm on the corn year for a lot of that stuff. So a lot of my glassing opportunities around here are really kind of shot. So I think I'm going to be heading to the mountains and do the cut, the, do the cut glassing. Cause I got to pay that off. Cause I remember we were talking about it and you were like, man, that's a great idea. And I was like, yeah, I probably need to go do that now. So how's your yeah. glassing going? I mean, you getting any, any good inventory? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I got a few deer I've seen in Minnesota and Wisconsin so far that are make me super interested in, yeah. <laughs> in where they're going to be in a couple of <laughs> weeks. Uh, one of them, one of them is just a freaking stud over where I'm going to take my little girls and he's kind of a homebody. I think, I think I ran into him last year. I'm not sure, but He's probably 140-ish, low mm -hmm. 140s. I just for up there, like just a, he's an awesome Tank deer. deer. We yeah. saw, I saw him with one of my daughters. We were over there scouting a couple weeks ago, and I've got some cameras out, and he's like semi-consistent. I know there's there's some bear baiting going on around there, mm -hmm. which could throw the whole thing for it. It could screw me up pretty bad if there's people going in there with four wheelers and stuff, but. So far, he seems to be sticking around. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of, I'm, I, I'm curious about that book just because I think there's like a real outside chance I could put one of my daughters on him early. Oh, that'd be cool. And then I've got a, I, I've, I found some stuff in Southwestern Wisconsin that's got some, I, I've, I've seen a lot of big bucks this year. It's been for, for the effort that I've put in, I've got nothing to complain about. <laughs> Let me right. put it that way, <laughs> you know? And part of that is like you said, you know, I'm just in, in some of the places I hunt, I have the conditions that are working for me. I've got the bean fields and the alfalfa and some of the more open stuff over there in Wisconsin um, that just some years you have it, some years you don't. Yeah. Some spots really provide that opportunity and some don't. And, you know, it's it's interesting, like writing those foundation scripts, you just realize how, how much you can put into some something like that. You know, you talk about just long range glassing, right? And we talk about mm -hmm. just like, oh, well you'd think about, you could pull your truck up on top of a knoll or in a field drive and mount your spotting scope to your window or whatever, and not really do much work. 
But when you talk to people who are, you know, hunting pressure deer, they're always like, yeah, I'm camoing up and I'm hiking in. Cause there's this back corner mm-hmm. or this, this spot that, you know, the spot of the field that kind of <clears throat> falls off. That's where they always are. And I'm trying to figure out, you know, what wind's blowing when they come out there. And there's a, there can be like a really fun strategy to it. It's like kind of a mini hunt in and of itself. And it's a freaking blast, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing that I think that you mentioned there that people sometimes lose sight of is, yeah, you want to get out there and you want to find these deer. And it's, uh, I love glassing up big deer, you know, whenever the opportunity presents, but there's also that fine line of like, are you going to do more damage than you are good potentially depending, right? Cause you still kind of depending on how close you're going to get, right? If you're in an area that you've got hundreds of yards and you're doing it from like a roadside or whatever, and you're just sitting in your truck and it's, yeah, probably no harm, no foul. But if it's a place like on a piece of public like this, you know, like this cut, you know, I still would have to be mindful of like, all right, well, what's my wind doing? You know, where yep. are the deer going to come from and stuff like that? Because I could end up going in there and screwing it up before I ever have a chance to kind of get in there and, and, and figure it out. And I got some cell cameras in the general area where I've got some good Intel, where I know that there's some, some good prospects in the area, whether they remain there once fall rolls around or not, you know, still remains to be seen. But the last thing I would want to do is go in and screw it up on a cheap, on a, for a cheap thrill, <laughs> so to speak, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, it, that's a consideration, right? Like, I mean, that's, I, I think, I think we use that as an excuse sometimes. Like, I'm not saying it's not a legitimate excuse. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying every situation is different. So there are, you know, like there might, you might have a situation where it's absolutely right to stay out because you just can't, you, like when you go in, you're going to go in to kill, leave them alone. Mm-hmm. But I, I've had situations where, you know, I think I wrote about this. Um, I shot a buck years ago in North central Minnesota. I had, I had permission to hunt this, this little private property and there was a hay field and you could sneak in and glass it, but the deer would come out and then it'd start filtering your way. And they were, eventually they were going to go past you to the neighbor's field. And so you just had to leave when it was like prime time or they'd get past you and you were screwed and you'd blow them up. And I learned that the hard way. And so you know, that situation, you'd kind of look at that and go, well, I probably shouldn't go in there, but I went in there and watched those deer a lot. Mm -hmm. And I killed a great buck, like, I don't know, five days into the season or something cutting through there. And even though I, I like, it killed me to have to leave. Like, wait, I I don't know if you've ever fished tournaments or not, but like when you fish a bass tournament, like you pre-fish for it and you don't want to set the hook on anything. Right. Or you don't want to set the hook on a ton of fish because you don't want to sore mouth them if you're going to catch them tomorrow in the tournament. And so it's like this such an unnatural feeling. Like you flip a jig or something up there, you throw a frog up there and a fish eats it. And then you just wait till it spits it out and you can feel it like swimming around and chomping on it. And you're like, every like ounce of your being is like set the hook and cross his eyes. You can't do it. It's kind of like the same thing with that, that glassing situation where it was like, you just want to push it like another 10 minutes, like another 20 minutes, see who else is going to come. You got to get out. Or, you know, like in your situation, if it's, if you look at it and go, I want to go up there and watch bad. I want to see who's walking through that cut, but if you just, if your spidey senses say no way, don't do it, man. Yeah. And that's hard. It's, it's hard, man. Cause the reason, the reason I would go do it, if I could get a decent vantage point and do it from my truck, I would, I would do it. And I'm going to go up there in the next two weeks. Cause I've got some cameras and stuff that I've got to check. And it's going to really probably be a game time, game time decision. Cause I'm really apprehensive to walk up through and kind of get a a better vantage point up kind of in the cut. Because I have to walk up, right? And I'd be going in the afternoon. So my thermals are all rising, right? So anything that's going to be up there in that general area, just off the top of that cut is going to win me before, before they ever get a chance to come out. And so 
I'm a little apprehensive about it. And I got really a lot of really good intel, like in general. Like I've got probably just in that general area uh, of the cell camera that's there. I probably have, and I know like it's not capturing everything. And I have another camera in the general area um, that's just a regular one. But I've probably gotten like two shooters just on that one alone, you know? And so I'm like, okay. And I can yeah. see directionally where they're coming from. I'm like, all right, I kind of got an idea, time stamping them, kind of know when they're coming through, have a rough idea where they might be bedded, you know? And so I'm like, man, I don't know that I'm going to gain enough to risk screwing it, screwing it up right now. Yeah. Those deer may not even be there. And the one thing I wanted to ask you, man, it's like your experience in the big woods, like what percentage of bucks have you found are home bodies in the big woods versus deer that are certainly going to transition? That's a good question. I kind of have a number in my mind just from what I've seen where I think it's at, but I'm just curious to what you, what you think. I don't know. I think the safe answer for me would be like maybe 50%. That's exactly where I was landed. Man. And I, I I don't think, I don't see as much transition in the big woods as I do in other places, you know, on, on smaller pieces. That's been at least my experience. All the big woods that I've run cameras on and watched, I've typically had about 50% of the deer stick around on some smaller parcels, whether it's suburban or whether it's like just smaller pieces of public in closer to like, I don't want to say super populated areas, but like outside of towns and stuff like that, where it's like, maybe it's a thousand acres or maybe it's 500. It's like, I've had years where I lost every single deer that was on it in the summer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah. You know. Yeah, man, that's a hard one because... We, you know, we talk about this all the time, like the transition, like, oh, is that, is that summer buck going to be there? And, you know, just think how often you see like one buck, like one good one just cruising through, or you do get those pictures of a buck for like a week and then they're gone. Or, you know, I, I think, I think they're a hell of a lot harder to pin down than Mm -hmm. we think. And I just, you know, we always, we kind of like these, these neat compartments, right? Like, okay, his home range is this. And so he's, he's in here somewhere. And it's like, man, he's an animal that can walk. So, <laughs> and, and when you're talking in the yeah. big woods, you're talking about kind of this homogenous freaking mono landscape mm-hmm. that, you know, if he, he might not have like a super compelling reason to stay somewhere, he's getting hounded. Right. So he, you know, like this, this section might not offer vastly better nutrition or, you know, spots to bed that give him all the advantages than the next section over. And if you start getting in there and even if you don't know you bumped him or you don't know who's in there with you that bumped him in that situation, I think they just, I think they're like really good at going, all right, I'll just, I'm yeah. three ridges over now, buddy. Like, I don't care. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Cause I've seen kind of, yeah, I feel kind of the same way. Cause I feel like in some of these places that I've, where I were maybe only 50% transition, for example, um, you know, it, it's not saying that they're not transitioning. What that's saying to me is that their that their fall range encompasses at least part of the summer range where I was capturing them, right? Because yep. I'm not, I don't know what their entire summer range is. You know what I mean? I might just be getting inventory of them in an area of it, and it might just so happen to overlap where their fall range is going to be. 
And so what I started thinking about with some of these big woods deer is that, especially if they're in an area where they're going to have kind of food and cover year round, especially the piece of big woods that I'm hunting in PA, where when, when the foliage drops, man, if you're not in like serious cover, like it is open, you know? And so those pockets are going to be good all year, you know, like where it's thick and it's got cover and it's got food. And I was starting to think about, it and I'm like, man, cause I sent you some of the pictures of the deer that I have in this particular area. And it's like for only getting to do a couple of days of scouting in the winter and, and getting the inventory that I've gotten, I'm pretty excited about the prospects. And I'm like, crossing my fingers that I'm like, man, a 50% of them stick around because they're in the best places that I found, you know? And I'm yeah. like, man, the places adjacent to it just aren't nearly as good. So I don't know why they would leave necessarily. And the does are just as nomadic. And so if deer are just congregating there, then they're going to have, they're going to have does in their general area as well. And so I'm thinking about it going, well, what would be their incentive to move at that point? So clear this up for me that that concentration of bucks that you've got there you you said that's you think that's tied to cover i think it's tied to cover and food yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah, yeah cuz there, there's I mean, a and, and there's actually that spot specifically is the one little bit of topography that i found outside yeah. of like some sheer drops and stuff like that like big ridges that once you get to the top it's kind of flat like this was the one area where i found like a little bit of topography that was going to push deer around which is why i put a camera where i put it because i was like well this is the only spot i found that's clearly going to funnel and push deer in a direction. Well, and it, it probably is a situation that offers them some advantages with the wind too, right? Well, there's a bull on the back end. And so I've already yeah. kind of scoped out where I was planning to hunt, how, how I would access it. And I'm like, yeah, down in the bottom there, man, coming off the backside of that bull, I was like, it's going to get squirrely in there. I was like, so I yeah. guarantee you it's going to be hard to hunt. You know, I'm going to yeah. have to hunt the, the, you know, not that it's the classic Dan Enfold thing, but I'm going to have to hunt that backside of that bull probably three quarters of the way up to try to keep my wind advantage a little bit. Cause if I get down too low on that, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be screwed. Yeah. You know, so man, that, that two things with that. I, I really think, and I've said this a billion times, but I think those big woods bucks are the, that's the hardest challenge mm -hmm. out there. And it's so closely mirrors elk hunting to oh, me. Yeah. Like the, you know, like concentration animals. Okay. Why are they here? And then you start ticking off the reasons and it's like, okay, they got the food and it's, it's a little bit different than the food I found over there. And then they've got some kind of terrain working for them and the wind is kicking my ass and X, Y, Z. And it's so consistent like that. And, but yet you can still blow them out of there because they know where 10 places like that are. And we know one, you yeah, know, like exactly, it, you know, and you think about there when you, when you hunt those deer like that, and then you talk about how tied to cover that is, man, I had. I had two moments like in the last year that were just an awakening for me hunting down in Iowa on that public land. When it, when it went from the first weekend of the season, which was October one to the middle weekend of October. So two weeks later, just how much more open it got mm -hmm. when I went back down there and I killed my buck and where they were. And so just seeing like, even in a place with a, a big concentration of deer food everywhere, the most beautiful deciduous forest you can imagine, lots of bluffy stuff that offers them all kinds of things they need. There were still buck concentrations and they were always tied to the next level of cover. Yeah. And you just, you see that so often. Yeah. It's, um, this spot's going to be really interesting to hunt. I mean, right now it's chalked full of food. Like there's plenty of browse like year round. Cause when I scouted it in the winter slash spring, there was tons of browse in there and there was still fresh deer sign in there. It was one of the few places I found a concentration of deer sign. And now there's like, wild blueberries and raspberries and just like all kinds of stuff. So not any surprise. I'm also seeing a fair amount of bears in there too. Yep. So now I'm like, all right, 
you know, it's PA, it's black bear, but there's a lot of them. I'm like, all right, I got to have a little bit of heat with me or something just you know, for the, for the, the dark walk in and the dark walk out. Um, you know, but I'm pretty, I'm pretty stoked on it. It, it's really thick, a little bit of topography and it's also in between two swamps that connect. And so it's kind of like, it's, it kind of has everything coming together, like a little bit of topo cover, some food, and then some soft edge for them to kind of follow and kind of meander around as well, which doesn't, which doesn't suck. And it's the easy access. If anyone were to hunt it, you know, is, is how I walked in to scout it. But there's a, I found another way that I can kind of get in that actually would be on the opposite side to where anyone who's going to try to go in and hunt that as they push in, they're going to push deer toward me essentially, yep. you know? So it's going back to what you and I've talked about in the past is that playing that 3d chess, you know, it's like, where, where are the deer, where are the people? And then where do I need to be, <laughs> you know, where are the deer ultimately yep. going to end up, you know? So, so fun. Yeah. So fun, man. Yeah. But anyway, kind of tr- hard transitioning here, man. Cause I know, you know, the, one of the things that we talk about, you know, when we get together is, you know, sometimes doing a little bit of like a, a winging it approach to hunting, you know, doing some freelance hunting, kind of walking in and learning new areas. And, um, there was this really smart guy from Pennsylvania that I read that had a quote in this meat eater article. Um, he runs a really shitty podcast, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you wrote an article for meat eater about, you know, learning, you know, elevating your hunting by kind of learning, you know, different land and different terrain and kind of always, you know, being on that path, path to learning. And just for everyone out there listening, this kind of kicked off a text exchange between Tony and I just kind of thinking about that, and at that time I was actually doing research for a, not a work related project, but it was kind of, kind of work related. And I was digging into stuff around Alzheimer's and I started kind of thinking about Alzheimer's in the context of like how you learn and how you try to kind of create neuroplasticity with people who are, have cognitive, um, who are experiencing con- cognitive decay essentially. And started thinking about that in the context of deer hunting. Cause well, why wouldn't I? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> You know, and, and what it made me realize was, you know, a lot of what we do in terms of trying to be successful as a, as a deer hunter and kind of learning new lands and, you know, and, and trying to figure out how, what deer are going to do and playing that chess match that we were just talking about ties back to neuroplasticity. Like how pliable is your mind to adjust, adapt, and kind of take in new information and create new connections that you didn't have before. And that's really, you know what the article that you wrote is about is how do you kind of, how do you do that? Right. And then you and I decided to take it one level further and say, well, what is like the scientific kind of background and reason for it? And that's where I kind of landed. And you sent me this great video today of a guy trying to learn to ride a bike where the welders welded it to where, when he turned the handles, right, the bike went left and vice versa. And it took him eight months to learn how to ride that bike. And even when he did that, he still wasn't great at it, you know? And so it's this whole idea of, you know, being open to kind of reexamining how you do things and what you do things and make new connections. And I just find that really, really interesting. And that you just asking me, you know, to participate in that article made me think about my hunting in a different way. Just that one question made me think about like how, okay, how and why am I getting better and how do I continue to do that now that I'm aware of it? Yeah. I mean, so Let's talk about that neuroplasticity because I think it is so important to deer hunters, but let's back up a second on that because that, that article, I can't remember what that was called, but it was, it was something like the one way to become a better deer hunter, like the one guaranteed way. I can't remember what the clickbaity title they put on it for me was, but it was something about becoming a better deer hunter. And I'm really, 
I'm really trying to lean into that. Like, like you mentioned earlier about that foundations episode I did on, on long range glassing. Like, I got to get out there. That's sort of the goal with a lot of the stuff I create is to get you out there. Mm -hmm. Like, so we've, we've kind of created in this hunting industry, like, I'm going to give you the answer. You'll kill more deer. Like I, I, I own some kind of intellectual property. You don't. And <laughs> when I spill the beans, you guys are going to go out there and you're going to kill one. And the reality is that's just not true. Like if, yeah. if that were the case, we just listened to, you know, the outdoor channel celebrities and we'd all be killing 200 inches. Like we're not yeah. like there's, there's a reason. And so that kind of stuff, I, I love those kind of articles because they, they get people to go, I'm going to go try this or, or I'm going to try to be better instead of I'm going to try to find this like loophole out in nature where the deer are dumb or where I can call them in or where I can do something that's like, you know, it's demonstrably not going to work. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, statistically, maybe that's the wrong word. It, maybe statistically it's just not going to work for you, but getting lots of experience in the woods will work for you. Yeah. Spending lots of time scouting and enjoying yourself and, and learning this process and owning it, it will make you better. Like that's, that's the route most of us have to take because we can't write a giant check and kill old dumb deer. Like we just can't. Right. And one, one of the things that goes along with that is like what you were talking about with the neuroplasticity. We are really creatures of habit in a lot of ways. And that, that video with the guy on the bike, that was the reason that it took him eight months to learn how to ride that bike, which was just the opposite steering of a regular bike. Every, every regular bike you've ever ridden in your life was because he grew up riding a bike a certain way. And that groove was worn really deeply in his brain and as an adult, that shit's hard to change. But as yeah. a kid, you can give that to an eight-year-old and three weeks later, they can just ride it fine because the groove isn't worn as deep. And man, we do that with hunting all the time. Yeah. it's There was one quote that he mentioned in there that I thought was just on point. And it's funny because it, it's not even deer related, but I think that that's the thing as deer hunters and just in general in life, it's like you need to learn to look outside of like your own personal biases and influences to kind of find the best ways to do things, right? Like that's the one thing whenever you work in any type of business, you know, me working in like digital strategy, I work in a specific sector of digital strategy for a specific type of business. I'm all the time looking outside of my, what I do every day for new ways to do the same things that we've been doing, but a way to adapt it. Right. And that's where the real value comes. Like the one quote he had was knowledge does not equal understanding. And I thought, man, that is powerful because there are so many people when you listen to them talk, right. And you read an article by them or whatever, maybe it's a hunting celebrity. It's like, man, they got a lot of knowledge, man. They can talk to you about scrapes and sitting on field edges and planting food plots and doing all this stuff. And all that stuff's wonderful. Right. But when you put them out in the middle of nowhere without the ability to manipulate, they don't have the understanding right? It's not appliable, right? It's like they can, they, they, they get it academically, but the application aspect of it to show true understanding just, just isn't there. And the tie back I made to the whole Alzheimer's thing, I guess I should bring that full circle because people are probably like, what the hell is we talking about? <laughs> um, so not to get too far into the weeds, but the way Alzheimer's kind of works, and I'm going to make this really generic because I was watching a Ted talk and there was this woman who was a doctor and she was given a kind of a speech on you know, the importance around neuroplasticity related to Alzheimer's and cognitive kind of diseases. And there's these things called plaques and, 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 and tangles essentially in, in Alzheimer's and plaques do exactly what you kind of think they would do. They gum up the works. They get in between, in between kind of neurotransmitters are going to fire and neuro networks and they kind of block it. Right. 
tangles do exactly what you think tangles would do. They wrap around the neuro, the, the, the neuro, the, the, the telephone wires, if you will. And eventually they get so tight, they choke it out. Right. And so the challenge with Alzheimer's is, is that if I know Tony Peterson as Tony Peterson, the hunter, and it's the only way I know him when the plaque or the tangles are both potentially intercept that neuro connection, I no longer know Tony because I only know him one way. But if I know Tony, the hunter, I know Tony, the father, I know Tony, the good friend, I know Tony, the writer, I know Tony. If I know him in six different ways, when that plaque or tangle kind of blocked that one way that I know him, maybe it blocks the hunter version. I still know Tony five other ways. And so I don't forget him. And that's kind of how I see deer hunting. It's like, if I know how to hunt a transition in a swamp one way, and that's the only way I know how to hunt a transition, I have knowledge, but I don't really have understanding of the transition. But if I know how to hunt it and, I, and I've hunted it before in a swamp, I've hunted it in the big woods, hardwood setting, I've hunted it in a pine, in a, in a pine setup, I've hunted it in deciduous forest setup or whatever the case is, I now not only know how to hunt a transition, I've actually applied and, and understand how to actually execute the hunt. And that to me is like where the neuroplasticity comes in is like, I want to know multiple ways of the same thing. That way, no matter when I see it, where I see it, I immediately will know and have an analog of how I should approach it because I know it from a multitude of angles, if that makes sense. Totally. I mean, it, it's a, that was a really nerdy way to say, get lots of experience out there <laughs> hunting different places and, and watching deer do their thing. Yeah. Really? I mean, it, it, it it's just a data. But it's a scientifically thing. proven approach, right? That's kind of like the point of it is that like, you know, yeah. this, this approach to expanding your neuro network you know, is, is scientifically proven in a bunch of different ways and therapy kind of settings, but it's still just your brain working at the end of yep. the day. Right. And if that, if you think of it in that context, that's just my brain working and it's only going to do what I feed it. Then you're more mindful of what you're feeding it and, and actually paying attention to the things you're taking in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe this is totally wacky, but I think that our brains have like a very strong default mode mm. where, especially if you're, I kind of had this revelation this week. I was talking to, I had to interview Andy May for something. And so we just got to BS. And then of course he was just leaving the woods because he'd been out scouting. And then the next day, uh, I guest hosted an episode of Wired to Hunt with Mark, where we talked to Zach Mm Farinbaugh. And so I got to talk to those two guys just back to back. And I was like, man, there's so many similarities between these guys and some of the just Eddie Claypool type big buck killers out there on public land. And it's so tied to this just thirst for new. And, you know, like when, like for Andy, for example, when I was talking to him, he was telling me about this place he was scouting his public land in Michigan. And I was like, well, how are the prospects? And he's like, well, I won't kill one here this year. I'm just trying to learn it. Just, you know, like he wasn't going in there. Like I'm, this is guerrilla warfare. He's like, I'm just, you know, this place interests me. I'm walking through it in a rainstorm (laughs) and I'm going to, I'm going to learn this and it's not going to pay off this year, but it's going to pay off long term. And he's just expanding that and keeping his like he, keeping things fresh and going, mm-hmm. OK, like here's here's some new inputs. Here's some new learning. And it's it doesn't allow him. He's not going to get into a rut. Like right. He's he's going to keep going and it's not going to get stale or he's not going to default to like, well, I guess I go to this stand because it's October 7th. And eight years ago, I saw a nice one. You know what I mean? Like he's. <laughs> He's moving. He's moving forward. Right. Yeah. I mean, that truthfully was whenever I started scouting that big woods here in PA. I mean, that was really the thinking. Like I, I, it was really like a three-year plan. You know, I was like this year, I wasn't even planning to hunt it this year 
trail camera pool kind of changed my mind where I was like, I got into deer more quickly than I had expected. And so, well, whatever, I'm going to hunt it. The real plan was to go scout it this year, maybe not even hunt it unless I had no prospects around here, maybe bad weather around here and take a trip there and, and hunt the bad weather and just see what I find, you know, to continue to learn it. But I think what you're getting at, you know, to a degree, and it's the same thing whenever you're doing research or whatever it is, there's always a, an element of confirmation bias. Like you're always seeking people and it's not a fault of anybody's. Everybody does it. Some just recognize when it's happening and kind of course correct. And they still, even when they recognize it's happening, it still kind of creeps in. And you have this idea of confirmation bias where you're really working to confirm the things you already believe or already think that should happen. Right. And that's why that person will sit in that stand in public land for 20 years and, and be on the forums saying that there aren't any more deer in Pennsylvania on public land. Right. Because they sat a clear cut 20 years ago. It's 20 years old now. There aren't any deer that live in it anymore. So that means, therefore, the entire 200,000 acres outside of the spot that they're at has no deer. You know, it's that idea that they're they're devout in that spot. They're trying to confirm their bias. that That spot is still good as opposed to just saying, you know what, I need to I need to step back, take a 30,000 foot view of what's going on here and open my mind to other possibilities and just seek seek knowledge, seek information. Well, and that's that confirmation bias that you're talking about. I mean, we all do that, right? Oh, like we 100%, do it yeah. 3000 times a day. But when you, when you look at like I, Mark Kenyon and I get into a lot of lively discussions because Kenyon, he's, he's really like, if, if you would take something that's like a, a standard set belief in the industry, like the lull is real and this is what it does. He's, he's a guy who's going to be like, yes, here's why here's the studies, whatever. And I always look at that stuff and I go, how does that apply to me? Like, first off, if I'm hunting public land, I'm more concerned about pressure than anything else. Yeah. And if I can go hunt and I can, I can see this in different States where it's actually pretty good in the beginning of October. And I can only speculate that that's because there's fewer people out there because they're buying into this and they're at home watching football and they're waiting for the rut. Like, okay, that there might be truth to that Mm -hmm. in, in your specific situation, but it might not mean anything to me. Right. And like, you have to learn that shit for yourself, I think. And there's, there's no way around that. And when you, when you get into that mode where you're like, well, it must be this way because I've hunted this for 20 years. And there's, you know, like Zach brought that up, you know, people tell him all the time, like, well, you can't come to my state and sneak around and kill one. And he's like, I don't know. I just go to these States and I sneak around and kill one. Like I, <laughs> everybody tells me I can't do it. And I keep doing it. And I'm like, yeah, they they're sitting there with that bias and they're just going, there's no way. Cause they either can't or they won't. Right. And it's just, it's working against you. And I, you know, the, I mean, I think the clearest example of this is like how, how often I won't say even necessarily like how often do you kill mature bucks, but like how often do you encounter in any given season deer that would make you really happy? Cause it takes, you know, I mean, it takes an X amount of encounters to, to mm-hmm. kill one, you know, yeah. and some seasons you get really lucky. And when you see them, they come in and you shoot them in some years you see them and they don't, but that's a big win, especially when you're hunting public land. Yeah. And I always look at that and I go, okay, well, if you've, if you haven't seen a good one in seven years, what, what's going on? They're there somewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the other thing too, is that people need to, especially if they're a normal working Joe, right? Like you got to kind of recalibrate what success looks for like for you to a degree. Right. I struggle with this for a while. It's like, I have a pretty flexible job and I can get out 
a fair amount, probably more than like the average person who works like a normal career nine to five or whatever. But even still, it's like, <clears throat> I know personally that I'm not in the woods often enough during archery season to kill the type of buck that I want to kill every year. Like, I just know, I just know that it takes a certain amount of days, right? Like there's not a specific amount, but it takes time, right? Time and opportunity, like, and, and you'll make, and you'll make it happen. I had to recalibrate what success looked like for me. And sometimes I'll get a little bit pissy about it. You know, and I was talking to my brother-in-law this past week He and he doesn't really hunt. He, he gives out, you know, opening day gun season and happy to get a dough to put into the freezer or whatever, you know, that's kind of his approach. And we were talking the other day and he was like, man, he's like, you always find a really good deer. And I'm like, yeah. I was like, but man, I was like hard time killing him the past two years. You know what I mean? It's like, he's like, but yeah, man, he's like, but you should have filled all three tags last year. And I was like, yeah. And he was like, yeah. He's like, well, you, you hit one of the Missouri that you lost. He's like, which sucked. He's like, you passed one on the last day of Ohio that you should have killed, but you let, but you let walk, which I thought I was going back to Ohio. COVID happened. I didn't get to go back. Um, and then I screwed the pooch on one of my shooters in Pennsylvania, like right before Thanksgiving. He's like, so you had three encounters with shooters all within 20 yards. He was like, dude, <laughs> he was like, you know, he, he was like, I don't know what you're complaining about. I was like, yeah, you know, people have it a lot worse off than me. <laughs> I, you know, I was like, I'll, I'll admit that I was like, but at the same time, I was like having those three encounters like that and coming away empty handed still sucks, you know? Um, but I was like, I think getting back to what we were talking about, I think the reason why, to your point, you know, if you're not finding and you're not seeing deer, you're not having the encounters, you know, what it was telling me was that I'm moving further and further away from that confirmation bias. Because I had three different states, all different types of terrain and topography, and they were all, they weren't like planned hunts. They were more just like, all right, I'm going to go read the sign, see what's going on and figure out where I'm going to go. You know, yep. one was I made a move in Missouri to set up on basically some sign I'd seen the day before. The one in Ohio, I actually moved midday to a different area. And then the one in PA was, I let sit for a while and just knew where there was a I just, I knew that where there was a really good kind of primary scrape that had some really slick access that I used, you know, and that was, and that was that. So, yeah, man. I mean, I think we get caught up in the idea of like, I want it to happen here. I can envision it and that's how I want it. Yep. Well, without question, we do that. But I I also think like, I've I've been kind of, I, so I wrote an article recently for Meat Eater about why I love to shoot young bucks. Spencer really wanted me to write it it freaking blew up good and bad. <laughs> it went both ways. It broke all over the place, but it, it made me think we really, we have, we have a weird thing going on where we talk about mature bucks a lot, mm-hmm. but I, I know in my life, I hunt deer a lot. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I target mature bucks. It's, it depends on the situation, but a lot of times I go hunt deer and sometimes that leads me to big bucks. And what it made me realize is like, when you, we, we have a lot of people listening to us and a lot of people reading the things we write and it, and, and they're like, they skip that learning to deer hunt stage and they're kind of, kind of in this like, well, okay, I'm going to target mature bucks. Like I'm going to target mature bucks on, on public land. Like, man, could you go kill a forky consistently on public land? Like, could you really, instead yeah. of just like saying it or like a mature doe, like if you have an antlerless tag, how long, like, just give me an estimate. How long do you think it'd take you to, to fill? Because there's a lot of reality baked into those scenarios sometimes. And I think, I don't think there's any way around this. If you're hunting pressure deer to learn deer first and bucks second, 
And I I think that that, I think we kind of have missed that message a lot of times and you get reminded of it when you start traveling, Mm -hmm. you know, because when you start traveling, like, yeah, okay. Like, okay, I'm going here. You start looking for buck sign and stuff, but what you're doing, you're not, you're not throwing away the forky sighting and you're not throwing away the does that walk through. You're kind of like, I'll take it all. Cause Mm -hmm. I want to, like, I need as much as you can give me here in this four days or week. And that stuff matters. And I think sometimes when we're at home or we're in a comfortable situation, it's like that, that little six pointer doesn't matter. And it's like, man, he might matter so much by just how he goes down the ridge and cuts down or how did he approach the water like that? Cause it was him today. Doesn't mean it isn't 140 inch or tomorrow. Right. And you know, like if you don't, if you, if you're kind of just dismissive of that stuff, you're maybe not. You're, you're maybe not taking your game the right way. Yeah, man. I mean, good God, you hit something, <laughs> you hit the nail on the head. So hardcore for me right now, something that I've been just kind of not saying I'm working through it, but then I'm recognizing and it sometimes takes friends to help you recognize things going back to like the neuroplasticity thing, right? Seeking information from a lot of places, you know, for folks that listen to this podcast, know my buddy, Greg Litzinger, you, you may know him. He did the meat eater, um, the book of terrible shit that happens. What was the audio book yep. that came out? Like, the campfire story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My title probably isn't as good as the campfire stories. That was not a great title, but um, you know, he's a good buddy of mine lives close and we, we talk a lot and you know, he's a guy that one of those dudes that I turn to a lot for info because Greg's just a hell of a hunter, you know, just he's good. And it's always been on pre- in pressured areas. And we talk a little bit about that, often on the podcast and often just in text and phone conversations about that idea of just hunting deer, because, you know, he makes fun of me to a degree. Cause he's like, dude, he's like, you will go out of state. He's like, and in three days, like you'll text me with like an encounter or you missed one or you hit one and it got like, he's like, it's just uncanny. You go somewhere and it just like, it, it happens. He was like, and in Pennsylvania, he was, he's like, you get so, caught up in trying to dissect it and, and thread the needle so finely, he's like that you're, that you're just not as effective. And his thing was, he's like, you really, you're hunting deer when you go out of state. He's like, I've heard you say it. He's like, where you just take off and walk until you start to kick deer up. And then when you find deer, now you start hunting. He's like, we're in Pennsylvania. He was like, you already know where deer are at. He's like, and you've already kind of had, a, have an idea of where you want to kill him. He's like, as opposed to just killing the deer where he wants to be killed, you know? And so it's like, he's like that aggressiveness you use out of state, you need to use that at home. You know, he's like, cause I think you're going to be better off. And it goes back to that neuroplasticity, right? It's like, I'm taking that in, thinking about it and thinking of like going through examples. We were talking before we started recording, like, where have I screwed up? Right. And going back <laughs> and examining uh, old hunts. And going like, well, how did I screw this up? How did I screw this up? And like, how can I fix it? What was the learning opportunity that I didn't see then because I was too caught up in the emotion or the moment or whatever. Now I can look at it and go, well, this is where it went wrong and this is how I fix it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, hunting on memories is bad, man. <laughs> I mean, it, it's good and bad. It, yeah. it depends how you use it. But that, that situation is really common. Like where, where people can get it done on the road and they struggle at home. I, that's happened to me so many years where I just go, well, you know, they've come through here. You know, they love this little funnel or they love this pinch point. And it's so easy to just be like, I'm going to go there because mm-hmm. I killed one there seven years ago. Or, you know, I got all those trail camera pictures in there and you're just not, you're not hunting in the moment. 
And, you know, I mean, it's, th- we have weird messaging cause we, we preach the scouting thing so much cause it is, it is so important to like learn the land and just be out there, but you can almost throw away like half of what you learn the moment the season season opens and you yeah. might shave off another 2% every week or, oh, you know, yeah. some, and, For sure. and, you know, sometimes some of it comes back around, right? You're like, okay, that little Island in the swamp that was rubbed up that didn't matter to me at all in September, or October might be something now, you know? So like some of it, some of it circles back around, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is just, it's, it was an excuse. Like it was sort of a thinly veiled excuse to go into the woods and we're like, okay, I'm not going to go in the woods in March unless I have a real purpose, unless mm-hmm. I have a mission. And that is to, to find those rubs and whatever. But really what you're doing is you're just taking in the woods. Like you're just yep. learning what, you know, and, and not that you're ignoring sign, like it's important, right. but you're just getting a lay of the land and you're getting more comfortable out there. And you're just, you're just like building a little bit better map to work off of. Yeah. And the way I've always kind of qualified that is, you know, and I know you and I have debated the whole, you know, bed hunting versus not bed hunting and <laughs> stuff like that. And, you know, and, and two guys come to mind to me and that's, and fault, right? Cause you know, I've known him for a little while, super good dude. And then Andy, you know, I've had a, been able to have him on the show and talk to him a handful of times and, th- and they have a similar style. Cause he's, you know, what I would refer to as a beast disciple, right? Like that's, yep. you know, he very much so has got a lot from the beast and Dan and that, that approach, but you know, it can be a very daunting kind of way of, way of hunting. And, and I'm tying this back to neuroplasticity because People think of beast hunting as a super ultra, like aggressive style hunting or whatever it is, whether it's Zach or Andy or whomever, but really, and, and it can be to some people, it's intimidating, especially younger people, or maybe people who are newer to hunting, or maybe they've been bow hunting for a while, but they're trying to get more into that mobile style of hunting. You know, the way I always kind of qualified is, is that, yeah, it, it is aggressive, but it's really just a framework. You know, that's really all beast style hunting is. And Dan and I have talked about that to where I'm like. Dan really and truly, yes, it's, he's aggressive and he will make aggressive moves, but he is really just beast hunting at the, at its core is having some really kind of known areas of like where deer want to bed and then letting the woods come to you. You know, Dan doesn't necessarily set up over a bed all the time. He may hunt yep. a general bedding area where deer like to bed and it might be a couple acres, you know? And then there's other people like my buddy, Greg Litzinger, like where he will literally hunt 50 yards from a known bed, like, and he won't hunt an area unless he's that that on top of a bed. That's just kind of his, his style. But that style of hunting is really a neural framework as to how you evaluate things when you hit the woods and how you take it in. And that's yep. really all it is. It's a framework for which you will adapt. It's just like a map. You, you use a map. It doesn't mean you're going to follow this exact course. There's likely going to be things that happen along the way. You just have other roads that you can happen to get off other exits to get to the same place you need to ultimately get to. You just might have to go a different way. And that's really, to me, what that mobile hunting kind of is, is it's a framework neural network for deer hunting essentially. Yep. Well, and you know, the, the thing about, you know, Dan's strategy and some of these other guys hunting beds, it's like, it's easy. It's sort of an easy sell as far as the concept. Mm, like if you yeah. find this, if I'd you find agree. this great big bed, mm-hmm. it sounds, but, but what you don't get is all the input that, that like true big buck killers have, you know, like you, you could, have Dan Infold explain that to you a billion times, you wouldn't see the same things he sees when he walks into the woods. hundred percent. And, and, and what it is like you're talking about is they, they kind of have the strategy built around it. It's like a very important input, right? Like if I know where that is, then now I can check that off and I'm like, okay, when are, what are the conditions? What's the seasonal timing? How can I get there? 
they're they're factoring in a whole bunch of different stuff that so it's not just like I found his bed now it's over <laughs> like there's you know I mean I always think about that those kind of strategies like I when when you work with a really good dog trainer like they can tell you how to get a dog to heal or do a double blind retrieve or whatever but when you watch them work with a dog they're operating on a level that they can't explain to you because mm-hmm. they've seen dog they can, they can like see the future with dogs it's uncanny yeah that's the same like that level of understanding is what your buddy's doing and what Dan's doing, where it's not just finding a bed. Like it's the, the easy sell is to say, find the bed. The hard part is like, now here's how you hunt it. And like, I, I always, you know, I always joke cause I'm like, this is not my thing. And it, I, I love finding them, but like those guys are operating on a level with bed hunting that I'm just like, it's like alien to me. Yeah. I'm the same way. Like great. <laughs> Going back to like the whole neural idea, it, you know, I love going to scout with different people, you know, like Greg and I'll get together and scout You usually like once or twice a year, you know, and he'll find beds on areas that I've hunted and never found a bed. <laughs> Funniest part was, is we were scouting one day and I'm standing, I'm like, man, I was like, I never, he found like, he found a bed and we're walking along. I'm like, man, I was like, I never find beds. He's like, Hey, you're standing in one. Like I was literally standing <laughs> in a bed, in a buck bed and like, and it wasn't super, super obvious. Right. But he just, to your point, it, you know, I like to just follow him around the woods and just watch what he looks at and what he looks for. Cause he looks for things different than I do. He sees things differently than I do. And it's that whole idea of, you know, you know, I don't know, man, like I've always found the people who I've thought and have seen as being the most, I don't want to say successful you know, or maybe most impactful or effective might be a, the right word to say, you know, um, that they just, they have an ability to, to be somewhat not selfless, but super aware of themselves and what they need to get better and have no ego about trying to acquire it, you know? And, you know, for me, when I go out into the woods and I'm scouting with whether it's Greg or if it's my buddy Chad or with, with Aaron or whatever, I don't care who it is and how long they've been doing it. I'm watching them trying to figure out, like, what are they looking for in the same area that I'm looking? And I'll ask them, like, hey, man, what are you looking for here? Just point blank, because I want to understand, like, how they're seeing things. You know, some people can explain it to you better than others. You know, Greg's actually really good at explaining it. And so it's like I've picked up a ton of stuff from him. Um but to me, like, that's part of it, man. Like you want to up your game, go to different areas. You want to level it up even further. Take a buddy with you that, that you look up to as a deer hunter and just and regardless, maybe they're better or maybe not as experienced as you. Cause Greg and I walk away and he'll be like, Hey man, when you found this over there, like that, that was really interesting. You know, like he'll pick up little things from me and where I kind of learned that I learned that probably later in life was talking to Andre DeQuisto. I was at a convention at one point. He and I were talking. He barely knew me. I knew Cody, you know, and Cody and I had done some podcasts together and hung out. It was the first time I met Andre, and we were just kind of shooting shooting the shit. And he was talking to me about a buck or whatever, and he asked me how my season was, and I was telling him about a couple hunts I had. And this dude has killed giants, started a tree stand company that's probably was, like, you know, uh, very innovative in the space for mobile hunting just in general and his approach to hunting. And the dude was standing. You can tell when someone's listening to you. And I'm sitting there talking to this guy has no reason to listen to a word that I have to say and literally like staring a hole through me, paying attention to every detail that I was telling him about the hunt. Then I don't even remember what questions he asked me, but he asked me like three very specific questions about the hunt. And he was like, in that moment, I was like, 
that's why that guy kills giant deer. Like he was finding little nuggets from a guy who has half the experience that he has, you know, and a 10th of the talent, you know, and he's, (laughs) and he's going, this guy has something that I can pick up from. And he's always looking for the nugget. And that's what I found, whether it's him, whether it's Dan, whether it's Don Higgins, whether it, whatever guy it is that has had success at a high level and killed a lot of big deer, they will listen to every single person when it comes to talking deer hunting, because they're always looking for that next little nugget that they didn't know of. Yeah, dude, I had, uh, I had like a couple weeks span where Andy may kept texting me about that buck I killed in Iowa last year mm-hmm. and the questions he would ask me I, by, by the end of it. I was like, dude, I think you've thought about this deer more than I have, <laughs> like, <laughs> but it was, it was like that. Like, okay. So when he was, he was living by that river, but like, where, like, what kind of cover was it? Like, how close were you to the bluff? And like, really specific shit. And it, you know, it's, it wasn't like some dude trying to get my spot. He was trying to understand it. Mm-hmm. And you know, he went down to Iowa last year and killed a monster. Like yeah. he doesn't need to talk to me about the right. buck I killed, <laughs> but he was just like, that's just the drive. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's wild to see. It's so cool. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause I almost qualify my ability to level up. If if whenever someone's kind of talking to me about that, if I'm thinking through their hunt as they're telling me it, when I start to ask questions like that, that's when I know I'm like, okay, I can now, like, I don't even need to be there anymore. I, I can now see the hunt kind of come together and I'm not there, but every now and then it's like, I'll have like a couple like probing questions with Greg when he tells me about a hunt or whatever, where I'm going, you know, well, Hey, what was that little bluff like, you know, or what were they eating? you know, what was the browse like, you know, just little things like that, that people don't think about. It's like, that stuff is just critical, man. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, it's really beneficial to get around people who are either better than you or just operate differently than you. I mean, and that's, you know, when you talk about, you know, Greg and, and Dan and a, and a bed strategy, you're talking about some, you're talking about people who have mastered a certain kind of hunting, but also, like kind of like Zach has, like they really have leaned into something they're confident. They've developed something that freaking works. And there's those bucks they're killing. There's other ways to kill them, mm-hmm. but like they're going, you know, like I, I talked to Zach about this a lot. Like, man, he, he has an unconventional strategy and it freaking works. And part of the reason it works is because he doesn't like sitting in trees waiting for him. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's wired to go to them and he just freaking leans into that and it's dry conditions, wet conditions, New York state, Ohio, Nebraska. It doesn't matter. He's going to find a way to work his style. And I think like the, you know, the benefit to hearing from Greg or some of these other people is like, you, you can try that. Like you, you can go out and scout beds and, and start hunting them somewhere. It might work for you. You might totally flame out, yeah. you know, but like you could try it. And if, if it starts working for you, start getting some su- success in some of these ways. Like, man, you can develop that. Yeah. And I I think, too, that especially, you know, folks out there that are maybe younger or newer to newer to hunting, I actually think that they have a distinct advantage when it comes to kind of picking this stuff up. Because just going back to the dude with the bike and the little kid took him eight months to figure it out. Because like you said, man, that rut was worn deep on how to ride a bike, right? Like that algorithm for how I'm going (laughs) to ride a bike, like he was not breaking it, you know? That little kid uh, just learned how to ride a bike like a couple weeks before that or whatever it was. Man, it took him three weeks to figure out how to ride a bike the opposite way. You know, just like the rut wasn't worn quite deep. And there's a distinct advantage for new hunters and even more so younger hunters to be able to kind of apply this approach and just 
we always say be a sponge, but it's a, but it's a real thing, right? As long as you put yourself around the right people and open up your mind to all the possibilities and try all these things, even if you fail and you flame out, man, you are going to figure stuff out that it will have taken you 20 years of reading articles, reading books or whatever. If you just go out and you try it a handful of times, especially if you're young, because that will burn a path in your memory. You will now understand that approach. You'll learn quickly whether or not it's going to work for you or not, but for nothing else, it will now be in your database forever as a, as a, as a viable way to do X to kill a doe or to kill a mature buck or to hunt from the ground or to hunt out of a saddle or to be aggressive and track one down or spot and stock or whatever it is. It's like, man, you know, variety is the spice of life, man. <laughs> you know, yeah. just go well, try it all. It, yeah. And what you're doing there too, is you're figuring out what, what you enjoy. Like what, what kind of hunting, you know, really blows the wind up your skirt and like, what's really rewarding. And we've, we've kind of been fed this, this lie that it's, it's only kill big bucks that matters. Mm-hmm. Like as long as, you know, like as long as you're going out there and you're shooting big ones, that's, that's everything. And that's not what this is about. Like if you, I know I'm, I'm pretty close to a guy, I'm not going to say his name, but he was freaking filming hunting videos 35 years ago, probably he's killed more different big game animals than probably almost any bow hunter out there. Super successful. He cannot wait to be done to go fishing and spear fishing because, because like he's been on tons and tons and tons of guided hunts in Africa, 47 times and whatever the hunting doesn't do it for him anymore, but it be, it's his business. So he goes out and kills big shit on film and he doesn't enjoy it. And you could look at his life on paper and go, he must be the happiest person alive because he's doing, you know, every year his, his three-story trophy room just gets more full of random critters from all over the world. But he's, he would rather go spearfish in the Gulf coast of Florida and have some fun. And like we, we have this weird thing going on where it's like, you got to find like, what, what, what is it really rewarding for you? And it's not going to be the easy stuff that you think, like, it's not going to be the easy, you know, 150 inch kill. It's going to be that process. Like it's going to mm-hmm. be like, you're, you're going to feel like you're putting in some work and you're going to sweat and you're going to get stung by bees and you're going to do a lot of stuff that kind of sucks in the moment, but cumulatively adds up to something that means something to you. And it's that's like a hard message to get across because we want that instant gratification, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, look, there's nothing wrong if someone wants to kill just big deer. There are some people that makes them happy as a pig and shit, you know, and they want to target a specific animal. Right. Like I, 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 I get that. You know what I mean? Like I've never I've only ever done that once. And you and I've talked about that. It's like it made me miserable like to target yeah. one deer because <laughs> the opportunity came and it went and that and that was it you know had one one crack at him and then someone else killed him and it was just like i spent two years watching that deer and had one encounter with him just could well i had a couple encounters with him but one close enough to kill him and just couldn't make it happen and then he was he was dead um you know and so i kind of vowed at that moment that like all right if i find a good deer and i want to kill i want to try to kill that deer but if another good deer comes through before i see that deer then i'm going to shoot the other deer you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I'm. <laughs> this is all there yeah. is to it. You know, it's like, I want to kill a good deer something that gets me excited and that changes every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like one day it might be one type set of standards the next day it might be, it might be something else. But going back to that idea of, you know, just kind of exploring and stuff like that, you know, was talking about this at one point, you know, on, on one of the shows where, you know, if, if, if you don't like to sit in a tree all day, 
get down and move, man. Like don't don't let the conventional wisdom of like it's the rut, so I have to sit here between eleven and two. You know what I mean? Like if that doesn't make you happy, then get down, right? And I, I was talking. I think it might even be Greg and I were talking about it. Oddly enough, um, and we were actually talking about about Zach. I was like, because we, we were talking about me hunting out of state. It's like I'm aggressive and I move a lot. And I was like, and I guarantee you, I've gotten out of a tree, whether it was in Iowa, Ohio, Missouri, wherever. That when I got down 30 minutes later, a shooter walked by. I was like, I, I can promise you it happened. I was like, how many times do you think Zach or the guys from THP have moved because they're super aggressive and missed out on an opportunity on a really good, really good buck because they moved? Yeah. But how many times have they killed a deer that made them really happy because they got down and they moved? Yep. You know, I was like, you can't play the what if game in the whitetail woods. You know what I mean? Yep. It's like, you got to just, if you want to move, you know, I'll always kind of set a time. And when I get into a tree, I'll hop into my saddle and I get into a tree. And if I'll be like, all right, I'm going to give a spot till 1030. And if I don't see anything by 1030, I've made the decision in my mind. I'm moving it and I'm moving on. There's no second guessing. I don't feel bad about it. When you don't set the plan for yourself to a degree in advance, I think that's when you start second guessing and you start to make some bad decisions. But like, I know at 1030, the spot's dead to me. I'm off and I'm moving. You know what I mean? And that's all there is to it. Yep. And that's how I can kind of like almost be like a little bit machine-like in that way to where I don't get into those emotions and feelings of like, man, should I stick around? Like, I think it might be, you know, maybe I just need to give it another half hour. You know, it's like, you can do that all day long, you know, yeah. but I'm more interested in what's over the next Ridge. And then going back to what we've been talking about, what am I going to learn in the next two hours while I'm walking? Like that's invaluable. You know, there might be a deer that comes through that I kill. I would say the odds are probably good that it won't happen just deer hunting in general. Right. But the odds of me learning something in the next two hours while I'm hiking almost a hundred percent. Yep. Well, that's, you, you bring up a really good point there about, you know, not, uh, not getting married to a spot, but, but being honest about like, okay, what does this do for me? How, like, what, are, what are the odds here? And I, I get asked that a lot. Like, how long do you give a spot? Or like you find, you know, uh, an area just banging sign on public land. How long? And my, my stock answer is usually one evening, one morning and I'm gone. That's, you know, and it, of course yeah. it depends on what it is, but, and what you see, you know, you might see something that's, but just generally it's like not long, you know, compared to what you could. And it, I think that there's, I think that that's partially a, a kind of a public land mentality and, you know, Greg and Zach and these guys like Andy, like you, you've mentioned multiple times, they're aggressive. They're, they're aggressive for deer hunters, but for public land, they're just doing what it takes to get it done. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the like secret intangibles of when you go somewhere and you got five days in Oklahoma to kill one, you, you kind of, you can't afford to not be aggressive, mm -hmm. right? You got to just, yeah. you got to figure something out. You got to get on them. You got to hunt them. And if it's not happening, you got to get on somebody else. And it like, you can't just be like, okay, on, on X, this looks great. So I'm going to ride out five days here. Most of the time, you know, yeah. like once in a while you'll find a situation where you have a ton of faith, but when you hunt private land and you're like, oh, I put in this food plot and I did this, or, you know, like I have this stand and it's usually pretty good. The end of October, it's sort of easy to be complacent and be overly cautious and not go that ag aggressive route. And yeah, like you said, you know, you're going to make mistakes when you get aggressive, but you're going to learn more. And, yeah. you know, and if you go you know, if you travel somewhere and you sit a new, a new tree every single day for a week, you learned a lot yeah. because there's a reason you sat there. Like you didn't just eat, whether it was observation or you walked in, you went, holy balls, this is covered in sign. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta see what's going on. Right. You, you didn't pick it because it was bad. You picked it cause you had some faith. And if you yeah. didn't have faith, you wouldn't have sat there. 
You know, like you didn't, there's no, there's like very little settling. I won't say there isn't any, cause sometimes you just, you get caught. Well, sometimes it's getting ready to get dark or whatever. You've been scouting yeah. all, all freaking day and you got like an hour of daylight left and then it becomes, you know, well, is there value in me walking for another hour and not finding shit or should I just get into a tree and see what happens? You know what yeah. I mean? Like there's, there's that type of stuff that happens. But what you'd mentioned just a couple seconds ago is it's that, I mean, it always comes back to this. It's asking that question. Why? Like you should be asking, like when we, when these guys, myself, you, whomever is being quote unquote aggressive, we're making decisions. Like we're looking at a map of thinking about where am I going next and why should I be going there? You know, it's not just throwing a dart at a dartboard. It's like, there's some rationale behind why you're making that move. And so, you know, regardless of whether you're going to ride something out or whether you're going to move the question of why should always be in play, right? At every turn should be, I found a rub. Why is that there? Why would it be there? What's the map look like? What's the terrain features look like? How would you use these terrain features? All right. I don't think I'm going to sit here. I don't think there's enough pieces of the puzzle here for me to spend a sit. Let me move on. Where should I go next? Why would I go there? Because of this. Okay. Now I go, right? I heard someone say this one time and I started using it and it made a big difference for me. When I decide to sit somewhere, I usually try to answer, I usually try to have at least three reasons why I should be there. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and they don't always have to be the same whys, but yep. like three different reasons why I should set up in a spot, you know, or why I should hunt this particular area where it's like the wind's all, almost wrong for me and right for the deer. You know, I have really good access coming in and it's on an acorn flat and it's early October. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, three reasons. You know, I want three points of connection for me to go hunt a spot. And once I started doing that, it, it, I started having, not surprisingly, better encounters and better hunts. Because yeah. I, I wasn't just saying, my access is good, I'm going to hunt here. Or my wind is good, I'm going to hunt here. You know, it's like, it really, there was legitimate three reasons why I needed to be there. And if I didn't have at least three, it wasn't worth hunting. Yeah. Well, that's. I think that's something that you see people who are pretty seasoned. They just, they kind of instinctively do that, whether they're like conscious of it or not. You know, it's like, it's like the difference between, okay, here's a river crossing. This is great, but here's a fence crossing right beyond the river crossing. And here's the the best tree, you know, 20 yards downwind that my wind's going to blow over. Like you start, you just go to those. Like, it's not, it's not good. Like what's the best of this spot. Like what, what is the best thing that I can find? And it, it is a combination of all of those different elements typically. And it's not enough where like I, we, we kind of do it a disservice when we talk about find a river crossing or find a terrain, you know, a pinch point or a funnel. Like, well, which one? Like, well, like, right. it, like it, the best pinch point in the world doesn't matter if there isn't a reason for them to go from point A to point B. Right. Like there has, there has to be these compelling reasons. And like when you said, like, why? Like, why would I sit here? Why would I do this? Like, you have to ask why about yourself and you have to ask why about them. Like, yeah. you have to say, why are they here? Or why are they not here? Or why did I not see anything? Or why did I only see this? Or why, when I was on this crossing, did everybody cross 300 yards up river? Why? Like, why is that happening? And the more that you ask that and the more you explore those, like, where's the answer? man, it's, it's just that to me, that's the fun part. Like that's yeah. when you, when you get out there and you're like, I think like my spidey senses say, this is the spot. And then you sit there and all the deer pass by on the hill above you. And you're like, what the hell? Like, why, why didn't it happen here? And then you move up there and then you see something else going on that little game 
That's so freaking fun. Yeah, and your why changed, right? You had one data point that set you in that first tree, right? And then the next data point suggested that maybe you should be in a different tree, right? And it's like, it's just, it's an iterative process, man. And, uh, but dude, I know we've been doing this for a little over an hour. I could sit here and talk to you (laughs) for like five hours about this. We could go back and forth, but I want to be respectful of your time. I know Mark has you working hard, slaving away. You probably have to do something (laughs) right after this, you know, I hear he's a slave driver. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, before I let you get going, but, uh, buddy, why don't you let everyone out there know where they can, uh, where they can get up with famous Tony Peterson, where all the places they can find <laughs> what you've got going on, where, where they can buy the autographed headshots. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I better have one in my mailbox soon is all I'm saying. Uh, you know, all my dear stuff's at meat eater right now. So it's, you know, meateater.com slash wired is, you know, the wired to hunt is kind of their their destination for all of the, the whitetail stuff. And so that's where the foundations podcast, of course, the, those wired hunt podcasts are all over too, but you know, the foundations podcast drop every Tuesday, new articles, every single week on, on the wired hunt page, um, YouTube videos. We've done so many goddamn YouTube videos lately. It's just <laughs> been nuts. And so anyway, there's, there's a lot of content there and it's, it's fun because it's a, you know, Mark's kind of got a different lane than me. You know, Mark is like, you know, he's, he's kind of into more like private land deer and naming them and the kind of stuff that we know him for. And I'm kind of just like a freaking feral public land guy, you know, just, <laughs> feral. That's a great way to describe yeah, you. Just, so we kind of, it's kind of a night we compliment each other. Cause he's, he kind of really addresses one crowd and I'm, I, I don't like, I, I go a different way. And so it's been, it's been pretty freaking fun, man. And it just, I I love, I love the ability. This is the first place I've worked at where they're just kind of like, what are your ideas? And like, what, what do you think people want to hear? Normally it's like, okay, we're doing this, this, and this, like it's October. We need a scrape thing. And it's, you know, September and we need this. And they're just like, what's, what do you think the audience wants to hear? And I I love that because you know how it is. Like you hear from people all the time who are like, I don't know how to do this, or I don't understand this, or what would you do here? And that, like, I think that there's a lot of value in that. So that's been fun, man. Yeah, man. Hey, I, I think you're doing a great job, brother. Um, tr- truth be told, I tune into your foundations podcast every week and I know, you know, and, and listening to the upfront of it, it, when you first started it, it you know, it, it's definitely, you know, someone who's newer to hunting, you know, is, is really going to get a ton out of it. I'm a guy who's been doing it for a while and I listen to every episode and there's always something in there that I take, that I take away from it. It goes back to what we were talking about of like being open-minded, wanting to expand your neural network, learning as much as you can. And sometimes that means I need to hear something that I've thought I've known for a while and I need to hear it differently. So I appreciate the work that you're doing brother. And I'm glad to have you as a voice for this group out in the, out in the world. And, uh, maybe, maybe Mark will have you naming a deer here one of these times. Uh, I, I always name them. I'm like, Oh, that one's Mr. Delicious. That one tastes that one's good. super tasty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's I, right. uh, we, we have different strategies anyway. No, man, I really appreciate it. It's always fun to come on here and, and BS with you. And I can't wait to, uh, I can't wait to get a couple of random texts from you this fall with some, with some kill photos. Yeah, for sure. Well, vice versa, man. I hopefully I want to grip and grin with you and your little girls. That's what I want. That'll, oh, that'll make my season. That'll make my season good if I get one of those. That, that's goal number one this year. So it, there's a lot of energy being put into that right now. So I I hope so. Awesome, man. Well, hey, brother, you have yourself a good night. Thanks for coming on, and I'll talk to you soon.
All right. Thanks, buddy. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there, too. I'd be super appreciative if you'd be able to do those two things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.